While you're finding a seat, I want to ask you if you would, if you've got one of our scripture journals for the series that we've been in, we're going to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I believe it's going to be on page 40. And I'm going to start with one of the most famous verses that perhaps everybody's heard of, at least you may not have known where it came from, but when, I, when you read it, you'll hear and you'll, it'll be familiar to you. We're in a long study. We're exploring this ancient letter called 1 Corinthians. That means it's the first letter that we have in our New Testament that was written to this church in the ancient city of Corinth. And we've talked about how it was a port city, and it was an international city, and there was all types of very relevant issues going on in the city that apply to us today. Lots of sexuality, lots of wealth, and lots of struggle for power, and lots of sense of self was going on. And we're calling this series A Beginner's Guide to Church because what we're doing is we're going back and we're looking at what Paul is telling this early group of Jesus followers on here's how you are to live. And so today as we've been going through it, um, we're coming, we're in chapter 10 and we've been in chapter 10 for a couple weeks now, but we're going to come and wrap up chapter 10 and move into 11, but 10 has several very recognizable verses. Again, you might not have been able to cite the, the, re, the verse and the chapter, but there's many um, relevant verses or famous verses in here. And so I'm going to start off with one that I'm, you probably have heard numerous times, but it's going to frame out where we're coming today. It's 1031. And here's what 1031 says. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, as you read that, there is one question that comes to mind. Here's the question. Really? I mean, think about what the verse is asking. Can we really do all things to the glory of God? Now, see, part of what you want you to say right now is, well, Scott, that's exactly what we'd expect a preacher to say. You know, now, does this mean that as I brush my teeth, I'm supposed to do it to the glory of God? Does it mean as I, as you sip your coffee, are you doing it to the glory of God? See, and some of us have this reaction, right? Because you think where this sermon's going is, it means that the application is, Stop doing the things that you enjoy, set your radio to worship music, and live life that way, right? There's, there's this pressure, you're thinking, it's all got to be about a devotional now, it's all got to be about, about kind of living in this, you know, um, monastic mindset. Paul is going to tell this church how to do all things, to the glory of God. And what I want you to start off with is this idea that what Paul is talking about, Paul believes is actually possible. And what Paul is not saying, he's not saying if you enjoy something, well, clearly you've got to give that up. You know, I enjoy a hobby, so you've got to give that up because that can't be good. And you've got to do only things that you don't enjoy doing because they seem like they belong in church. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's going to give us a framework and a reference here. 
And so what I want to do is I want to back up some verses, and we're going to take a run at this verse, and we're going to learn some things on the way. But what I want to remind you of is this. 1 Corinthians is an occasional letter. 1 Corinthians, this document that we have in our New Testaments, is an occasional letter. So what do I mean that, like that? I don't mean that it happens every so often occasional, but I mean this, that it was written to a certain time to address a certain situation. There is something going on in Corinth, in the church here. Remember, Paul's not in Corinth right now. He's moved on. He's been preaching, and some people have come from Corinth, and they brought him questions, and they brought him reports, and they brought him other letters. And so he's learned about situations going on back at the church, and he's writing to address those. Some of it's very corrective. He's going to have a corrective one. Some of it's in response to questions. He's going to be in response to a question today. And so just remember as we go forward in Everything that we're going to come to in Corinthians moving forward is Paul is responding to a situation that's happening in Corinth. And what we need to do is we need to kind of dive into that situation and see what we can learn from it. So the situation that Paul is addressing based on some of the questions that he's received from them is this. Meat offered to idols. That frames out almost all of 8, 9, and 10. It's been a running theme, and he's been teaching us different stuff as we've gone through it. A quick reminder. Now, we don't struggle with that today. That's not on our list of things that I'm going to be tempted to be tempted by before the end of the day today. But what's going on here, just to put some context on it so we can understand, is that in Corinth, you have both a Jewish worship going on, now you have, because of the presence of the church, you have a Christian worship. But the largest worship is pagan worship, meaning it's to the Greek gods. We've talked about in ancient Corinth, they've uncovered massive temples to Aphrodite, temples to Apollo, and as many as 27 other temples in, throughout the ancient ruins that they've uncovered and been, been able to identify. Associated with each of those temples was a system of sacrifices, much like the Jewish sacrifice system. The difference being is that obviously this sacrifice has been offered to these idols, these non-gods, these false gods. And the practice was that you would bring the sacrifice and it had to be a quality sacrifice, it had to be a quality animal, and you would bring the sacrifice and the sacrifice would be, would be partaken of and there would be excess or surplus meat from that. So the people that worked the temple, in some ways this is how they, they, that was their income, this is how they fed themselves, but then the excess would be sold in the meat market. So it's high quality, they had nothing invested in it, meaning the animal was brought to them and given freely, and so so now they can sell it at a reduced price. So it's high-quality meat sold at a reduced price. And then the Christians come along, and they've got this question, because some of them just recently were worshipers in those very temples. And now when they come and they're gathered for a meal with their new Christ-follower friends, and somebody says, did I ever get a deal on this pot roast today? 
in the new Christian's mind, they go back to not years ago, but weeks ago, when they would worship that God, they would go to the temple, they would partake in a worship-style feast, and now they're conflicted on the inside. And so Paul is receiving this question from them, what do we do about this issue of meat offered to idols? And he's going to walk through it, and the whole tension is, because we know the idols aren't real, and it's just meat. But how do you walk through? That's the background. And so I'm going to jump in back up to verse 23. We're going to read through this. I'm going to take us from 23, and we're going to move quickly through it, and then I'm going to make some applications. And I've got some questions that I think will help guide you in how to understand you can do all things for the glory of God. So we understand the situation that Paul's addressing, so here we are. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Paul is quoting them back to themselves. This is a phrase they have. Well, everything's lawful for me because I'm in Christ now. And he's saying, yes, true, but not everything's helpful. Watch where he goes. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of your conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Paul's making a simple statement. If you go, whatever meat you buy in the meat market, guess who the creator of that meat is? The God that you now serve. Not the false God you serve, the God that you now serve, and it was there for your blessings. So Paul's saying, if you've got a clear conscience... You can enjoy this. Okay, Paul. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. Okay, so Paul says, if you go over to somebody's house and they're not a believer and they prepare meat for you, enjoy. They lay the steak out. You don't have to, in front of them, go, well, my God's the real God you serve a false god, this meets, you know, unclean, and you storm out in a huff because you think you just made a spiritual stand. Saying, enjoy. So it sounds like Paul's headed all one direction, but he's about to give us at least something to consider as a corrective. But if someone says to you, hey, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. Look where he says. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Then he hits our verse. So whatever you do, eat or drink, whatever you do, all do it all for the glory of God. Did you understand the transition he made? He said, he said if, if somebody there is struggling with the fact because they were so recently involved in those worships, they were so recently involved in those kind of feasts, and it's really hard for them to decipher what's his best for me because they're all caught up in what this used to mean and all the symbolism and all the meaning. You know, it's hard for us to undo some of our spiritual growing up, right? I mean, if... if 
mom or dad or grandma taught you one thing and they said it's this way, 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 and then suddenly you find out it can be a different way, you're, you're conflicted with that. And so it's hard for them to do in some of the imagery and the, the, what they were partaking in. Paul says, if you've got a believer that's struggling, give up on your rights. Give up on your conscience. Not because your conscience is violated, because you're stressing theirs out and you're violating theirs. So whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do it all in the name and the glory of God. He finishes out this way. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So he's saying, listen, you've got in this city, you've got people that worship Yahweh God, the Jews. You have people that worship pagan gods, the Greeks. And now you have this other group, the people that worship the true God through Jesus. He says, don't offend any of them. Consider them first. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And then chapter 11 begins with this, but chapter 11, verse 1, goes with chapter 10. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So what I want to do is I want to talk to us about how we can be all things how we can do all things to the glory of God. And Paul believes this is really possible. And so what I want to do is I want to jump in. I'm going to use the scriptures that he just gave us. And I'm going to give us three instructions. Because remember, what Paul is trying to teach this church in Corinth to do is he's trying to teach them to think like Jesus followers now. And so their situation was meat offered to idols. We're going to let him teach us how to think like Jesus' followers and then apply that into our situations. And I've got some questions that will help you do that. Okay, the first thing is this. Be thankful. In whatever you do, whether it's mundane, whether it's routine, whether it's a hobby, the question is, can you do this with thankfulness. I'll give you another verse where Paul hits this. Colossians 3.17, if you want to write this one down or at least the reference down. Look what Paul says in Colossians 3.17. It's the same idea. It's another letter to another church, but look what he says. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul is wanting us to be thankful in all that we do. And it is so easy in our world today to not be thankful, right? To, to move through life without gratitude. I, I can't tell you the number of times I'm sitting in a, in a line in the store with a basket full of groceries and food, frustrated at three people in front of me. Do you see where this is? I have the resources, being blessed by God, to walk into a grocery store whenever I want and buy food. And we've become very aware now. In fact, we're aware because of supply chain problems now that what you could use to walk in and just have it guaranteed be there. Now we're all kind of experiencing a little bit of a 
my favorite brand isn't present. Now, there's 40 other boxes of cereal, so it's not I'm going hungry, but the cocoa crispy puffy things that I like aren't right there. And I feel a little bit as, oh, when will this get sorted out? And what Paul's saying is, remember he said, if I'm thankful for it, why should my conscience be against it? And so in all things, be thankful. So here's the question. Whatever it is you're considering doing, whatever you're considering, can you do it with thoughts, words, and a spirit of thankfulness? As you sit and enjoy your morning cup of coffee, can there be a moment of thankfulness of the life that God has given you and the moment that you get to interact with Him? As you enjoy your favorite hobby, can it be a way in which you're grateful for what God has done in that? There's just sense, the sense of, I get to do this. And if you will begin to apply this to even the mundane things in your life, suddenly they will take on a whole nother perspective. You know, as I tend to the fact that I've got to take care of the house that I live in. But now I can be grateful because I have a house to live in. Whatever it is, can you be grateful in that? And if you'll begin to apply that question, how can I be grateful in this moment? Suddenly all things become to the glory of God. Second thing, how do you do all things? How, how do you process all things? Second thing is this, is be loving. Now, be loving doesn't simply mean be sweet. Okay? All that Paul was asking to consider is, you have great freedom, but when your freedom starts to affect someone else, starts to have an effect on somebody else, you need to be paying attention. And so Paul is asking for this thing. Do you have an other person considered freedom? As you think about things, you're not thinking just about you, but how does what I'm doing impact somebody else? This is what he was saying. Whether it be the Jews or the Greeks or the church where the Christians gather, how can you keep somebody else? And so what I want you to ask is this. What does love require? What does me being loving in this moment require? And this is where we start getting into some places where you will decide whether or not what you're going to do actually brings glory to God. Theirs was offering meat to idols. So let, let me take one just for a second here, okay? There is no prohibition in Scripture against consuming alcohol. But there are commands against being drunk. So what's a Christian do? Yes, there's freedom there. But Paul would be the first to say, what does love require if you're in the presence of someone that has a struggle with alcohol? You don't simply say, well, I've got freedom. It's all about me. There's nothing loving with that. And so the second question I'd want you to ask is this. Does this cause somebody else to sin? Does what I'm doing here 
cause another Christian, another follower of Jesus, to sin? Is it going to create a temptation for them? Is it going to create a problem? Because if it does, what you're doing then in that moment, whatever it is, is not glorifying God. Now, my response to alcohol is just one. Let's try another. How you behave when you go to our students' sports games. There it is. Is there anything wrong with one that? No. Absolutely not. We want to support our students and all that. But how we behave in those moments can either bring glory to or take glory away from God. And so we've got to be thinking, what does love require in this moment? And how do I think about whether or not I cause somebody else to sin? You've got to think about, is this selfish of me or not? Again, I've talked about hobbies, and many of you have hobbies, and we have hobbies, and it's, they can be fun and encouraging. And it could be hunting or fishing or, or um, golf or you know, something outdoors. Is there anything wrong with it? Absolutely not. Unless it pulls you away from your family and allows you to ignore them and you become obsessed with it. Fantasy football, you know, nothing wrong unless you're so desperate to make those last-minute trades that you're away from the family and there's something selfish about it. Can you be thankful and can it be loving? And then here's the last one that I would say. Be an example. Be an example. And so I would simply leave you with this question. Is this, would I want others to imitate my example? As I'm participating in whatever it is, with the freedom and the goodness that God has given you, how I go about participating in this, whether it's my morning routine, whether it's how I conduct my business at work, whether it's how it's I conduct my studies at school, how I respond on my sports team, how I spend my free time, would I want somebody else that is also following Jesus to follow me? That's what Paul says in 11.1. 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And it's an invitation for us to look at his life and say, that's a life worthy of following, and it should be no different for you. With those three things in mind, how can I be grateful in this moment? How can I be loving and others-focused in this moment? And how can I be an example in this moment? Those will guide us to all things bring glory to Jesus. Because we're imitating Him. Because He did that first for us. He was grateful in all things. He laid down his life and made a sacrifice. He had a right to avoid the cross. Instead, he went to it on our behalf. And then he says, follow me.
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, may we be imitators of your Son, and may all we do bring you glory. So, Father, this week, I'm going to pray specifically over the next seven days that we would become very aware of all we're doing, whether it's the mundane, whether it's something at work, whether it's something at school, whether it's something in our neighborhood, whatever it is, Father, that we would become aware that we're doing all things for your glory. You've given us incredible freedom, Father, and we are so blessed. May we now use that freedom to glorify your name and make your name famous. Father, may our lives be imitations of Jesus. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen.